Welcome back to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. Hey, Todd. Hey, Corey. How you been? Good. Really good. Nice weekend. Very good. So let's start by finishing up a little of our primary election conversation. There were still a couple of outstanding races we needed to follow up on. Yeah. Todd, what happened on those two post-to-call races? Well, um, the, uh, the the first one was Senate District 9, and this is uh, Derek Kitchen, who's the incumbent on the Democratic side against Jen Plum. It looks like Jen is going to, she was down on election night, then came back, and uh, she's waffled between about 51 and 62 votes. She's up by 62 votes. There's no ballots really left to count. So it looks like Derek Kitchen has been, uh, has lost, and that Derek Kitchen will be the nominee. Now this, uh, I don't remember if there's a Republican that's filed in that, but this is a very liberal, you know, uh, they call it the most liberal um, Senate seat. And so she, she will, she is, you know, the favorite to, to win in November. And then down on the Republican side, down in Cedar City, and I'm sorry, St. George and House District 72, um, we had a virtual tie. It was tied at one point between Will, Willie Billings and Steve Ellison. Um, now I'm sorry, not Steve. Um, this is gonna, but anyways, Ellison is up by five votes, and so that one could probably still change. But I still have to think, Corey, that most of the votes are counted, and that you know he was up by one vote, and now he's up by five. So it doesn't look good for Willie Billings, and so it looks like E L I S O N is how you spell his last name is going to win that House seat. Those are the only two races that are really close that I've been watching in the whole state. Super interesting. So what's the what's the recount rule or is there one? You have to be within point two a fourth of a percent. And so um, likely both. Well, for sure, the uh, the Willie Billings loss will will qualify for a recount. Interestingly, if you look at the numbers, I mean, a Senate district is about two and a half times bigger than the House district. These two races that I talked about, they've both had around forty nine hundred votes for wow. each candidate. And so um, uh, a lot bigger vote turnout in the Republican primary in House District 72 than in the Democratic Party. Well, that's really fascinating and does make you wonder, did uh, a lot of those voters, Salt Lake Democrat voters, end up voting in a Republican primary so that they could vote for Becky Edwards or something? Yeah, um, and I'm sure that, you know, uh, a small percentage of them did that. I, I think that that, like a lot of things, that probably gets more airtime than it deserves. I don't think that, I mean, there, there are people doing that, but I don't think there's enough that it probably changed this race. The redistricting, the slight redistricting changes I've heard to Senate District 9, I think uh, helped Jen Plum a little bit. But again, she only lost by 500 votes four, four years ago in a primary, and she's only winning by 62 yeah. votes. Um, well, so if, if those Democrats didn't vote in the Republican primary, and I'll take your word, the probably there probably wasn't so many. I mean, that's that's still a really bad omen for Democrats who, you know, want to try to stem the, the losses in, uh, well, in this coming election in 2022 yeah. in November. And Democrats uh, in Utah, I'm not I'm not being pe- uh, uh, cheeky here. They're not used to having primaries. I mean, tr- traditionally, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or at least the past couple of decades, they've kind of taken care of all of their housekeeping at convention. This is a very unusual year. Gene Davis lost a primary. Stephanie Pitcher was in a primary. We had a lot of primaries, and I've never seen a Democratic year like this. All 
All right, let's move on. So uh, we've discussed Utah's abortion trigger law several times on the podcast. We mentioned a week or two ago the Planned Parenthood of Utah filed a lawsuit to block the trigger law from going into effect. At the time, excuse me, I called that the reasoning behind the lawsuit frivolous, and I stand by that. It is totally frivolous. But Planned Parenthood did find a judge here in uh, the third district to help them out. And it does happen even here in Utah. So third district court judge, Andrew Stone, granted Planned Parenthood's request for a preliminary injunction. That means uh, the trigger well, law no, is blocked. He, he granted the request for a temporary restraining order until the preliminary injunction hearing, which will happen ah, this week. Okay, sorry. So I was wrong about that. But in any case, the trigger law is held, is blocked essentially until- uh, July 12th. July 12th, or until the litigation is resolved, if that's granted then. Yeah, probably July 12th. Now, I've got a couple of opinions I want to share here. First of all, I don't think the TRO should have been granted. And um, I, I have cases pending before Judge Stone, so I'll probably reserve some of my criticism. But um, um, I, I will say this. Um, I don't think it'll be extended beyond July 12th. I've actually read the Attorney General's brief on this. It was very, very good. And the argument that the ACLU is trying to make, and this is the only argument they have left, and this has been tried in several states, and in several states, the, the, the abortion trigger laws have been um, stayed, in other states they haven't. And so I just want to say Judge Stone's not the only state court judge that has done this. But the argument is somehow the state constitution uh, protects the right of abortion instead of the federal constitution. And the AG's brief does a, a magical job of going all the way back to 1847 and basically saying Utah has never allowed abortion. It's always been the intent of the state to uh, outlaw abortion. And there's just absolutely no legitimate basis to say that our state constitution uh, protects um, that right. So I, I yeah, they, they say the laws prohibiting abortion in Utah, this is a quote, are older than the state itself. For more than 75 years, every officer in every branch of state government, legislative, executive, and judicial would have had to openly flout 10 different provisions of the Constitution by passing, enforcing, and upholding abortion laws. So I think you're right. The state brief, I mean, it lays out a century of case law. And it goes without saying that the Planned Parenthood brief is completely devoid of any on-point statutes or case law. And its, it's only citation of constitutional language is really aspirational dreamcasting. So I think it's really frustrating. The, the state's brief, very good, I believe, too. Like it's, it cites 100 years of case law, essentially. Yeah. While, uh, so it's just frustrating they have a judge. After the U.S. Supreme Court takes the monumental step of returning the question of abortion back to the people and the political branches, then, the, then a single judge stands to impose his own values. I'm not going to ask you to weigh in on this since you have stuff before him. I don't know anything about him. I do know that I would, uh, I'm not sure I would support him, you know, if I had a vote moving forward. Well, I, I will, I will tell you this much. He lives in the avenues. Of <laughs> and, Upset. <laughs> and he, he went to the University of Utah Law School. So, um, did you ever have a slinky uh, when you were a kid? Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. So imagine that slinky, slinky when you stretch it all the way out. That's what the liberals are trying to do with now our state and federal constitution. Yeah, yeah. Their, their brief that, that you just summarized basically says we like abortion. We want abortion to remain legal. And therefore, we think that the court should rule that the state constitution protects abortion. Yeah. You're just stretching that slinky. And, you know, if you stretch it too far, then it kind of doesn't go back into shape. So got to be careful there. 100%. 
All right. I hope you're right. Opal on, uh, on July 12th. That's, that's the end of it. Moving on, uh, Senator Mitt Romney published a highly touted op-ed in the Atlantic magazine this week entitled America is in Denial. And I thought it would be worth reviewing the piece a little bit because it did go viral among a certain upscale D.C., New York Twitter crowd. So his main thesis in the piece, uh, and you know what, we'll, we will, I'll, I'll stick it in the, the Facebook chat and I'll, and I'll put it on, our, on the podcast um, page. For anybody who's interested in you know reading it themselves, uh, there is a paywall, but I think you can get on the Atlantic uh, four or five times a month for free. But anyway, Senator Romney's main thesis is that uh, both sides of the political spectrum refuse to confront the serious challenges that face America today. He says, when entire countries fail to confront serious challenges, it doesn't end well. During the past half century, we Americans have lived in a very forgiving time and seeing the world through rose-colored glasses had limited consequences. If we continue to ignore the real threats we face, America will inevitably suffer serious consequences. So he believes that the, the right, he says, uh, denies climate change and refuses to acknowledge the January 6th uh, threat to democracy. He says the left ignores the border crisis and the ballooning national debt. That's certainly true. Uh, he seems to accuse Utahns of delusional thinking when it comes to watering lawns, <laughs> which was a little bit weird, to be honest with you. But, but that was more of a, a drive-by mention. He doesn't really you know, focus on that. But notably, he does say, quote, President Joe Biden is a genuinely good man, but he has yet been unable to break through our national malady of denial, deceit, and distrust. And the implication here, I'm guessing, is that Biden has, you know, genuinely tried to solve problems, but I guess has been stymied by whom, you know, Senator Romney doesn't say, but I guess we're left to kind of assume that he means among those on the right who resist climate change theology, I'm not quite sure. This one was a little bit of a head scratcher for me because, I mean, I mean, I'm, the Biden thing, I mean, because we certainly don't have any evidence that Biden is serious about addressing the border crisis or the growing debt bomb or, frankly, anything that uh, that isn't spearheaded by the radical left. We do have evidence that that President Biden fancies himself as a as the next, you know, FDR. Um, but so anyway, when so when Romney calls. He also calls, uh, Senator Romney calls Congress disappointing. He says, elected officials put a finger in the wind more frequently than they show backbone against it. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but it is interesting. You know, for example, let's, let's just take Mike Lee here in Utah. Love him or hate him. Some of you hate him. Some of you love him. I know that. But the man can't fairly be accused of sticking his finger in the wind. I mean, honestly. He's committed to certain principles, whether you agree with them or not. And I mean, meanwhile, you got Evan McMullen on the other side, who is the embodiment of a shape-shifting amoeba going as far as to adopt, you know, a big range of progressive policies so that he can, he can uh, pander basically to the Democrats in Utah and curry their favor. So I think it's a little disappointing that, you know, we can't distinguish between the two of those candidates, but... In any event, I mean, I think that Senator Romney, to be fair, I think he raises some really important points, especially about the need for leadership. Um, Todd, what were your takeaways? Well, I think that, um, first of all, I, I, you know, the Atlantic kind of caters to, a, like you said, a, a, a East Coast um, elitist, but it, it's a liberal publication. It has liberal subscribers. So, you know, when, whenever someone... Uh, 
and whenever a Republican is willing to openly criticize Trump, they become the toast of the left, you know, for, so Liz, Liz Cheney's enjoying that um, right now. Mitt Romney, you know, had it a couple of years ago and I guess is, wants it back. Um, but, you know, the, the left will also, you know, like a used piece of gum, they'll just chew you up and spit you out as soon as you're no longer uh, convenient for their narrative. I do, you know, it's hard to argue with the points of the op-ed. Uh, I think he makes some um, big points, but I don't think that the op-ed changes the needle on anything. Um, and I think it's, um, you know, I think if Mitt Romney, I mean, he's a, he's a U.S. Senator. And so uh, rather than telling us all what everybody else isn't doing, I think that he needs to actually now do something. Now, he was part of this compromise on guns. Uh, I don't know at the end of the day that the compromise is going to accomplish a lot, but people were saying do something and and he has tried to do something. So I will give him um, kudos for that. Yeah. And I mean, I think I think you're right. I mean, that that is something that struck me is, I mean, we do need more leadership. And to me, maybe leadership involves proposing the solutions, asking people to follow you, you know, like taking the lead. And uh, anyway. So Florida Governor Ron DeSantis planning a private fundraiser in Utah later this month. We understand that major donors from across the country will attend, including donors from Utah. You know, it sure does look like uh, DeSantis plans to run for president. Todd, you think he could beat President Trump in a primary in Utah in 2024? I think it's too early to say, and I'll just remind our, our, our listeners that Trump has been less popular in Utah um, proportionally than in a lot of other states because, you know, a lot of, um, I think, Utah Mormons kind of cringe at, some, you know, some of the grab them by the whatever Hollywood access videotape and things like that. That's why you saw Mike Lee and others vote for Evan McMullen, even though they didn't really want Evan McMullen to be president. They just wanted kind of an out. They weren't going to vote for Hillary Clinton. And so I think it's conceivable that DeSantis uh, could beat Trump two years from now. Um, I think it's conceivable that Trump doesn't run. I think that the primary objective of the January 6th hearings is not necessarily to get Trump convicted of a crime, but it's probably to get some of his supporters to re-question their support of him. And I think that it's it's working on and to a small extent on a small number of people. Um, but uh, I, I have news for these people that are going to pay $10,000 to see DeSantis in Utah. He was here last July. I was at the meeting. Uh, he came out and spoke at a ALEC conference. Um, so you're going to spend a lot of money for something <laughs> that you could have done for almost for free last year. So, Well, I mean, I think that actually demonstrates the point that the, the, the establishment, this is what I see from the D.C. side. I mean, the, I think establishment money really does seem to be lining up behind DeSantis. And I mean, frankly, I even outside the, the establishment here in Utah, like during the convention season, I was hearing tons of buzz about DeSantis. I'm hearing more and more from Trump fans here in Utah, I'm talking about, that worry that he can't beat Biden, that Trump can't beat Biden, that is, or win in 2024. And I, I think people worry that this is what I keep hearing over and over again. It's kind of like the the nastiness, the vitriol, the rabid hatred that the media has for the, you know, and then the left has for Trump. It's just going to make it so difficult and so nasty. And I think that a lot of people are actually worried, too, that Trump can't beat Biden. You know, like whether you know whether you thought he lost the election 
I think he did. He did. Or whether you believe that uh, it was stolen from at the end of the day, he didn't get the job done. Joe Biden is the president today. Yeah. So would, you know, a lot, I've heard from a lot of people who have different views about the election, who are afraid that Trump is going to lose. It'll just be too nasty. And I think DeSantis is the name that I'm hearing over and over again. I think big donors are looking for the alternative and DeSantis seems to be peaking at the right time. And I don't know, I could really see uh, folks coalesce behind him. You could see both uh, kind of the, the traditional Trump people, the, uh, the establishment, as well as kind of the more evangelicals, like kind of, kind of lined up behind DeSantis. I'm not saying it will happen, but I think that he, DeSantis is going to make two arguments that should be really interesting. I think the first he'll say, Trump gave us Dr. Fauci. Trump gave us lockdowns. He gave us school closures. He gave us breathtaking deficit spending to make up for the difference. But meanwhile, here in Florida, my state of Florida, we remained open. Kids attended full-time school. Florida economy emerged as one of the strongest in the nation. We didn't have mask mandates. We didn't have vaccine mandates. And we didn't ask the government for money. I think, I think that's going to be a strong argument that, uh, that is going to resonate with a lot of people. I think another one is what I just said at the end of the day, you know, Biden is president after 2020. And I, whether DeSantis will say explicitly that Trump lost or not, I don't know. But I think you can be confident that he'll definitely make the point that Trump isn't president now. And he'll say that we can't take that risk again. So I, I personally think that it's a pretty compelling case right now. We don't know what it's going to look like later. And we don't know if uh, President Trump would run. I think, I think that I assume that he will. I certainly assume that he's going to, he'll be in and out multiple times before he finally decides whether he's fully in or fully out. Um, but I do think that DeSantis has a shot and, and particularly in Utah, I think he has a very good shot for the same reason that you just said. Yeah. I think that there is uh, there is an, an interest in alternatives to, to president Trump, even among people who really support him. Yeah. So have you ever seen a football game when like this guy's got the ball and he's running towards the, uh, the touchdown line, he, there's nobody in front of him, but then there's a defender running up behind him. And he's a little bit faster. And the question is, can he catch up and tackle him in time? Yeah. Yeah. A touchdown. That's what's happening right now. Trump's Trump's got the ball and DeSantis is running up behind him. Ironically, this also happened with Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton back in 2008. Right. And, and, you know, all of the momentum was behind Hillary and then Barack just kind of, kind of, you know, snuck up behind her and, and tackled her basically and, and got the nomination. And um, so here's the thing. I think that the media and the Democratic Party establishment is already turning on Biden. We saw some articles this weekend in both the New York Times and the CNN. You and I traded some messages on Facebook about how, you know, is he too old to be president? So, you know, two years ago, if you would have questioned Biden's age, you would have been called an ageist, which is a quantum <laughs> racist, but it's, you know, an ageist. And uh, and now the, the Democrats are doing it to themselves because he is, quite frankly, too old um, to be president. So I wouldn't be surprised if Biden is not the Democratic nominee in 2024. And I won't be surprised if Trump uh, ultimately doesn't run. Now, the reason Trump lost is not because Joe Biden was a great candidate. In fact, Biden spent most of the campaign in his basement not doing anything. But but Trump, um, there are so many people that dislike Trump that millions of people who otherwise would not have voted came out to vote for Biden, not because they wanted Biden to be president, is because they wanted Trump to not 
be the president. And that will likely happen again, maybe to a lesser extent in 2024. So I'm, you know, I've never been the, a huge Trumper. I like a lot of what he did. I certainly like his Supreme Court nominees um, that got on there. But um, you, I think as a party, we can get all of the bang from DeSantis. I'd like to see Christy Nome from South Dakota um, as his vice presidential running mate. I think we can get all the bang for the buck for uh, DeSantis, who went to an Ivy League school. I think he has a law degree from Yale. Um, and none of the baggage that Trump brings, because the Trump has that, you know, ubiquitous name ID, but he also has a tremendous amount of baggage as is being, you know, exploited in the January 6th hearings. Yeah, yeah, I think I think um, I agree with that. I mean, that DeSantis is a fighter like Trump with without some of the some of the sideshow that people are worried about and, and some of the baggage. Well, and- he's he's smarter than Trump, in my opinion. He's younger than Trump. Um, he's got a track record as a governor, which Trump never had. Um, I I could go on, but for those three reasons alone, that's why I think he should be the nominee. Yeah, yeah. He's my age, so goes just makes me feel like I'm having accomplished a dang thing when you see a guy like that. <laughs> anyway, so. You touched on the next topic that I want to talk about, which was, it seems like the entire mainstream liberal media industrial complex received the same memo this week multiple outlets started to question biden's viability in 2024 there was like a million profiles of gavin newsom governor of california and jb prickster uh, pritzker who's the billionaire uh, governor of illinois like all of these all of these uh profiles that are just kind of test driving different candidates it just seems just so uncanny how how coordinated the media was in their messaging on this. But, you know, Biden's approval is hovering around 30%. That's lower than Trump was at this same stage. It's in the, the Bush uh, post, you know, kind of Iraq war territory. I mean, that really means that certainly Republicans have left him a long time ago. Independents left him a long time ago. But this also means that a lot of Democrats have abandoned him. And, and we're getting more and more palace intrigue stories. What's fascinating to me is that Kamala Harris is completely absent from these stories. The media has decided rightly. She's worse, she's worse than Biden. <laughs> she's worse than Biden, and uh, she doesn't have what it takes. And I think that they've decided that. And it's, but it's breathtaking how quickly she's been tossed to the curb. We're talking about the first woman and the first African American vice president in a party that is just completely obsessed, uh, is just so preoccupied with identity. So, frankly, this is my last point, and give it to you. I can't imagine how she doesn't get the nomination if Biden is out. He, but, you know, the media clearly understands the, the identity dynamics here. And so it's just funny and so transparent that they're just getting started early to dismiss her and to find other alternatives. <laughs> but honestly, how does a Democratic Party that's so uh, preoccupied with identity not nominate the first African-American woman who is the current vice president? Well, she's uh, remarkably unpopular and unlikable. Um, she's a terrible vice president, but even more so than that, she was a terrible candidate for president. Remember, oh, yeah. she dropped out of the presidential race before her home state's primary because she was polling less than 9% in her home state of California. Um, oh, she wow. would Had she not dropped out, she would have won zero primaries in zero states. And um, and I hope, I hope that either Kamala Harris or um, AOC 
um, are the, the nominees for president in 2024. But I suspect it'll be someone like Gavin Newsom, which I think is great because he's a liberal's liberal. And I think it'll it'll yeah, show yeah, it'll, yeah. Um, contrast in the country. But here's what's happened. The final nail in uh, Biden's coffin, if you will, political coffin, was a poll that came out on June 30th. Uh, it was an AP and ORC survey released on Wednesday, June 30th, and it showed that 85% of adults in the United States believe that the country is headed in the wrong direction. Only 14% said the wow. country is headed in the right direction. That I mean, things have been going badly for Biden since January 21st of uh, 2020, but uh, 2021, excuse me, but that is the nail in the coffin. And, um, you know, you made the point that Biden's numbers are lower than Trump's poll numbers at this point in Trump's presidency. But if 85 percent of the country says we're going in the, in the wrong direction, um, you don't come back from that. Uh, Biden is done. He will not be reelected and he may not be renominated. And that that will be uh, fascinating for a sitting president not to get his own party's nomination. I can't remember the last time that's happened. Well, I mean, if he decides to run, it, you got to think he's going to ultimately get the nomination. I don't. But he'll know. be so damaged. I mean, the, I know, I, and you do too. I I have a lot of Democratic friends who are telling me I do not like Joe Biden. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. they, they, sure. don't, they, they don't. I mean, they they never wanted him, but they knew that Bernie and Elizabeth Warren and and Pete Buttigieg and uh, Beto O'Rourke, they knew that those guys couldn't win. So yeah. they, they all kind of plugged their nose and voted for Biden and thought, how bad can he be? And he has surprised everyone that he was worse <laughs> than expected. Yeah. And Kamala Harris, you know, when she's public speaking wise, she starts a sentence and she has no idea, neither does anyone else in the room, where, where that sentence is going. And it just meanders all around the room and then it comes to a anticlimactic end so <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty impressive word salad all right that's a good place to end <laughs> thanks Todd. thanks Corey. <laughs> see you next time